out of tuners. I'm Erin. I'm Victoria. I'm Rebecca. And this is Out of Tune. Wow, I'm never going to get tired of our intro, you guys. It's so fun every time. (laughs) Maybe we have something coming up in the next one. Oh my gosh, let's not get everyone's hopes up. Once our (laughs) are over, we'll have something extra. I think that's when we'll have time. Yeah, true. Because boy, oh boy, this week, you guys. This week. It's been fun. It's been really fun. But we'll get to this later (laughs) we won't we won't get ahead of ourselves here on the out of tune podcast we have a specific order okay (laughs) we are organized we're (laughs) order is our last name we like to appear organized i would say yes (laughs) i feel i'm right now i don't feel very organized but me either that's fine well this is episode 27 27 thank you so much wow well today we are talking about henry burley or commonly known as harry Harry burley now this brings up the question why is harry a nickname for henry i need to know don't know why but then i just thought i was like oh my gosh prince harry his real name is henry really oh really? yeah I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I'm weird. and Of course you know. I know. (laughs) It's so embarrassing sometimes that I'll just know, like, all the information about them. But yeah, his real name, let me, I'm going to look it up. I don't know. I mean, let's just talk about him for a second. Yeah, Henry of Wales. Isn't it, like, two different names? In my head, it was always two different names. I never, I never expected it. Harry was actually the nickname for Henry. Yeah, I in my head they're completely separate. Like Harry Potter's real name isn't Henry. No, it's yeah. not. like Harry Styles is, isn't Henry. Wait, wait, but is it though? Are no. we sure? Oh, for Harry Styles, I'm like pretty. I am sure. I was a directioner here. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just Harry. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, Harry, Harry Edward Styles. Yeah. Of course, it's Edward. Have I love British that, names. Have you heard that interview where somebody, it's like a weird interview, but this woman's like trying to be funny. She's like a comedian. I think, it, I think he knew she was a comedian too, but it was, it's really awkward to watch. She's like, is it true that your name is Harry, short for Harold? And he's like, no, Harry. <laughs> no, but it's so funny. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have <laughs> like, to watch it. But no, isn't it Harold? And he's like, Harry, just... Harry. <laughs> that's so funny. You have to watch it. It's the way he says it. Just just, just Harry. Harry. Just yeah. Harry. Harry. Just Harry. That also is a line in in, in Harry Potter at some point. Anyway, I just had like a moment there. Oh yeah. <laughs> um but anyway, so Henry slash Harry Burley. That is who we're talking about today. And I did not know he existed until I can't remember who brought who whose Hebecca. idea was this? Habeka's idea. Where did you find him? How did you find out about him? Okay, I found out about him in uh, Instagram stories because Ooh. that's where I get all information that I know. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> someone was um, sharing this um, post 
this page of a violinist in Brazil and this week she made a post of nine violin concertos by uh, Pock composers so one of them was Harry Burley I, why did I not know he didn't like I didn't know he had a violin concerto what Oh my Actually, gosh. I just remembered about this. I know he had like <laughs> the violin and piano thing. But I'm gonna I I'm gonna have to look him up and listen to all of his music. But yeah. Does anyone wanna take it away? Some background info on our guy Harry. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> so he was born in Erie, Pennsylvania in 1866 i liked reading about his background because his grandfather was actually a slave mm -hmm. um but he was you know grant he was freed pretty much but he kind of bought his freedom which is a little you know i feel like that's yeah. not like a usual like a usual situation that we yeah, hear i don't yeah. think so but he um, bought his freedom. usual or not usual I it's think not I'm... it's not a usual uh -huh. story or background that I hear of someone. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. It's not often that we learn about people like Yeah, like, I I get what you're saying. Directly descended from slavery, so I don't know. I guess that's kind of interesting or it was uh -huh. to me at least. Yeah, to me too. Yes, for me too. I was actually it was a moment that I realized, "Oh yes, it was very mm -hmm. Uh, recent. It was not yeah. something that happened like in the past past. It's like, yeah. so that we know that my heart might know yeah. someone um, like uh, generations, past generations. So, right. yeah, sometimes I just forget that it was, it was so recent. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, Harry Burley's father um, who, who had the same name as him, Henry <laughs> Burley Sr. was a veteran of the Civil War mm. and the first black juror in Erie County in 1871. I drive through oh. Erie, Pennsylvania. I've been to Erie, uh, Pennsylvania too. When I go through to get to Wisconsin, so I it, always... It, for one. me, when I would go from Penns... I mean, I only went there like once or twice, but it was always like the longest drive to get there because... It's at the very corner of the state, and then like, like Erie is right there, and it looks like a freaking ocean because it's so big. But yeah, Erie is a very interesting place. Ooh. Shout out to Pennsylvania. Shout out to Erie. <laughs> yeah, um, and Henry Burley's grandfather was actually known for an exceptionally melodious voice, and although we haven't mentioned it yet, I don't think uh, Harry Burley was a vocalist as well as a composer so mm -hmm. that's cute it runs in the family and he was like known for his like very baritone voice right yeah. like that was like his defining feature mm -hmm. so uh his grandfather taught harry and his brother the spirituals and slave songs um, and while he was young harry helped his family by lighting street lamps um, he worked as what's called a printer's devil, which is really interesting. It's just somebody <laughs> it's in Victoria's face. I was like, that sounds awful. A that's printer's devil. 
A printer's devil, which is just like a word for an apprentice in a printing shop who like, you know, you mix ink and you get like tape, stuff like that. But a lot of people did this. So like Benjamin Franklin was a printer's devil, Walt Whitman, Mark Twain, like Mm. all those guys did it too. Wow. It's kind of interesting. And he also worked on steamboats on Lake Erie. Um, He was also a kind of a go-getter he was studying as to be an accountant at the clark's business college while he was in high school oh wow yeah um hey um are you going to say something about his mom you can jump in i wasn't (laughs) i thought it was very interesting um she worked as a house cleaner because even though she had uh college education she couldn't find a position despite her fluency in French and Greek. Dang. Yes. That's kind of cool. That that was my my reaction to. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. So, uh, okay, I also like this cuz he didn't start going to the conservatory until he was 26, which makes me feel a lot better about myself because <laughs> I feel like it's so easy, and we'll even probably touch on this later, too, because we're going to talk about perfectionism in music, but it's so easy to feel like you're so behind, because it seems like if you don't, kind of like gymnastics, if you don't start when you're five, like you're late, but Burley actually didn't start going to the conservatory until 26, which... I like that for him. I like that for us. I love that for him. <laughs> yeah. And he went to the National Conservatory of Music in New York, which I haven't actually, like, heard of that. I wonder if it's, like, doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. I actually, I saw that and I went, huh. But then I didn't look anything up about it because... No, me either. My impression reading about this concert, National Conservatory was, like, the oh. conservatory of the u.s at that Mm -hmm. moment so it closed in 1952 i just clicked interesting yeah anyway well the story of his audition was really interesting too Mm -hmm. yeah are you gonna mention that too yeah (laughs) (laughs) so he was accepted on a scholarship with the help of francis mcdowell who was the mother of a composer named edward mcdowell Mm -hmm. um at first, he was denied entrance to the conservatory, and he was also denied the scholarship that he needed to attend because it said he fell just below like what their normal level is. But Francis McDowell insisted that he try again, and he or she insisted to like her colleagues that they let him try again yeah. and receive the scholarship. And she was like the registrar at the school, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she had some some inside help, or she, not mm-hmm. inside help, but like she had some influence. Yeah, and then so Dvorak was actually the director of the conservatory at the time, and so that's cool. But and Burley to support himself during his studies would help Mrs. McDowell with whatever she needed, like as a handyman, cleaning or whatever. Um, and he would clean the halls of the conservatory and sing spirituals while doing it. And Dvorak mm-hmm. would hear him. And uh, Dvorak asked to hear him sing some spirituals. And 
this is kind of what influenced Dvorak to incorporate these into like the American String Quartet, the Ninth Symphony, and he Dvorak ended up using mainly pentatonic scales, mm-hmm. which is the classic uh, exotic music scale yeah, <laughs> for European for, composers. <laughs> yeah, for anyone not yeah for anyone in Europe, pentatonic exotic. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's not really, <laughs> or and doesn't also if, like reflect those cultures at all but yeah but we'll leave it there (laughs) Perle also helped Dvorak copy out instrumental parts for the symphony for the ninth symphony so it's kind of cool we never talk about that like yeah I like it's just like oh Dvorak was the one that like went some or you know he like was the one to find these spirituals and like I never knew this this anecdote, this story. Oh, no, I didn't even background. know. I didn't even know that Dvorak was like the head of a conservatory. Like I didn't either. No I had either. imagined him writing this like while like backpacking across the U.S., not like while being <laughs> the head of a conservatory and having a student help him out. <laughs> like, yeah, paints a totally different picture. Yeah, to me it does too. But it does make sense, right? I totally agree with you guys. I never pictured uh, Dvorak as a head of conservatory, but now that you think his influence and his power, he would not be that guy with like a backpack running around the country, going to the yeah. I feel like there's listening like... to the to the scales and trying to understand their culture. He would not be that person, right? Yeah, I feel like Dvorak, I don't know, this may, I mean, I may be reading too much into it, but I feel like he was in love with himself and thought he was, like, really amazing, you know? So I feel like, yeah, like Rebecca's saying, I don't see him doing this, like, going backpacking across the country, even though I feel like that's kind of what we're led to believe. Because he Because he did the American music and he was the one that, you know, was doing the nationalism like starting that with with america which was already kind of a thing happening in europe yeah and how interesting that we get to know that Dvorak composed those american tunes mm-hmm. quote unquote but we never got to know how he got those american well and also he didn't i mean if he's taking melodies from from spirituals he didn't compose it you know yeah. Yes. Like, like he's he's like he's he's taking credit. Yeah, for something he didn't. For something he I mean he he can say all he wants that he like elaborated or did themes on a like a or a variations on on a spiritual theme or it's inspired on a spiritual theme but none of his stuff like there's no to my knowledge no like foreword or like preface saying do you know what I mean like kind of like exp- you know what I mean explaining yeah and this just brings me back to what we were talking about in history like last week or maybe it was this week I don't remember <laughs> about Amy Beach yeah and how she like included a foreword about saying that this is not like she got this like her the main material of her music from Native Americans yeah and it was very clear and for her to, I feel like to write that on her music was like way ahead of her time definitely also to your point of Dvorak being a little bit like self-centered we did talk about him again in our history class and I think it's 
we talk about how he prescribed to America that our national music should be like spirituals and Native American mm -hmm. music. Yeah. And just the fact that he came over here and like took the authority not even as any sort of American, like yeah. the African American, Native American, you know, an Irish immigrant, like he wasn't any of those things. He was just somebody visiting and he's mm -hmm. like, this is it. This is what you like. Okay. It's a little yeah. like European, European saviorism. Like we talk about it. Totally. Now. <laughs> say, like, it's like the, the, what are they? It's like the white savior. Like people always say yeah. that now about things. And I feel like Dvorak was doing like the European savior, like, but also white savior too, to be quite honest. Like yeah. ugh, it makes my skin crawl a little bit. Yeah, it's a weird uh, thing. And also, <laughs> may I mention, he he pro possibly took away the opportunity uh -huh. for an American composer to be the person to, to compose the American symphony. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. We can't change history, but we can change the way we talk about it. Mm -hmm. But something that always strikes me is why why do we say that this is the american one why can't it be like a lot of american ones or why do right. we have to say that that is the the only one american one or I feel why like can't we say that there is other kinds multiple, of americans yeah. mm -hmm. you know what i mean i really think it has to go down to the canon unfortunately yeah. and education i feel like we're taught the canon so it's kind of like a, a never-ending cycle of, okay, we're going to regret. Like, how many times do we listen to, like, the Ninth Symphony in some type of setting in music school? So, Whether it's music history, music theory, or orchestral literature, or, oh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just mm -hmm. constantly regurgitated. And I feel also, the first time I heard the Ninth Symphony, I was told this is the american symphony like this is like the american music do you know what i mean and i and... that is so weird because i when i first uh, when i was first taught about Dvorak, i also got to know that this was the name of the symphony or the nickname of the symphony or the nickname of the quartet yeah, right but never in my head i had or i understood that that was the american sound and in brazil i don't think we are taught like this mm, and, with this nice. and then i came and then i understood that here the idea is different is that actually this is what so i i wonder if there's a little bit of uh of course white saviorism mm -hmm. but also a little bit of ex just accepting and not and not going against that yeah. oh totally of course totally. it's not us or students or i don't know i think it would have to be something way bigger like i feel like it's just the perpetuating history of education of this is you know what i mean like no one's ever said something different and no one's and i also think because the canon is so closed to anyone who's not a white male there's no other symphony that can be claimed as the American symphony because it's not accepted into the canon, which again, here we are again, abolish the canon, just make things in life so much easier. But um, 
that's my opinion on it i feel like it kind of is just a never-ending cycle however i really love that we can talk about this though because it has to start somewhere not saying that we're going to be like the pioneers of to be like down with dvorak down with americans but like i feel like like, we we can we need to start changing the way we talk about history right And bringing something that our professor Mariana um, spoke on our one of our classes, uh, that of course we are not the first ones to be talking about this kind of thing. And there's, and this is a whole other topic actually, right? Mm-hmm. Why are we always restarting? And there's always a generation like us, like feeling like we are the first yeah. ones about talking about that. Why it never continues? Why there's not like this? continuation of this mo this motion of opening or yeah um it's like a it's like an invisible wall like it's like a that dies that dies in every generation or every 10 like you can get up to the top but like you can't get over it kind of thing it's very interesting i'd love to figure out Maybe we can do this for our final project. We can have a podcast talking about this. That would be awesome. And we could invite Mariana. Yeah, or something. Because I know know we have to do a final, like a creative final project. And I know we can do it as a, we we should just do that. This is, I could talk about this forever. I know, me too. So anyway. Hence the podcast. Harry Burley. Yeah. (laughs) Our guy, Harry Burley. Could I... Could I say something about him real quick? Yeah. That so um something that I found in my my research of him was his connection to not only Dvorak but also to Samuel Coleridge Taylor. Wow. So do you remember when in our Samuel Coleridge Taylor episode that he came to the US and like was greeted by like the president and blah 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 blah. Well the person who invited him was Harry Burley oh isn't that crazy and harry burley helped samuel coleridge taylor discover his african roots which is why samuel coleridge taylor then did the the negro melodies on piano oh isn't that so cute and samuel coleridge taylor was the first one to slow down remember we played like different versions of deep river like one time we had the canna masons and then we had just the piano version so samuel coleridge taylor his transcription of that was the slowed down version because it was originally like kind of an upbeat uh spiritual um and uh harry burley liked it so much that then he arranged it as an art song and what I didn't realize, and I feel like Harry Burley is like an unrecognized, unsung, no pun intended, American musical hero, because he made these um, spirituals into art songs that we rec- like, I recognize immediately as like some of my friends who like who performed um, in undergrad or that I've heard on an album that my parents have. You know what I mean? And I never knew that it was Harry Burley's arrangement slash transcription of these spirituals. So I have a, since we've played Deep River so many times on this podcast and we (laughs) love it, I have Harry Burley's vocal uh, arrangement of it. 
which is in the same slow tempo that Samuel Coleridge Taylor did his. Um, And I thought I'd, I'd share. And the singer here is going to be Lester Lynch. play more but i probably shouldn't so this is amazing it's so good i don't know what it is about this song it somehow it just speaks to me more than any other spiritual like i don't know i really really love this spiritual um okay moving kind of uh into a different area so i found a video of not a video an audio on youtube of harry burley singing and it's i think someone in the comments i will take it with a grain of salt but i did look at the comments and they said this is the only recording of burley's voice that has ever survived wow i'll have to do a fact check on that however if that's true wow but also i tried looking up for some other stuff like trying to find and i couldn't i think Um, it could be because it says uh in the article i have up that he didn't like recording really so i'll check after we listen okay but i thought we'd just listen and this is go down moses Oh, hard they could not stand. 
Isn't it wild to, like, hear something from over a hundred years ago? Yeah. It is weird. It's really weird to think about sometimes. Like, I get a little, like, whoa. Like, this is too much. But that was from 1919. So. Yeah. The styles are always so different, too. They are. Erin, did you have some stuff you wanted to share? Let me look quick. Yeah, okay. Berle disdained recording, and it was long believed that no recording existed of his voice. Oh. Uh, but yeah, he did do some recordings, and I think, yeah, later recordings have never been found, but that one is the one that remains. Okay, um, so wow, that's kind of wild. Do you yeah. think about, like, what recording or video is going to be of you? Like, what people are going to be like, wow, look at this person doing this? Mm, uh, no. <laughs> Sometimes I think about it and then I think, well, no one is actually going to see what I recorded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be the person people are going to be talking about. I mean, same with me. Like, all of my videos on YouTube are unlisted, so... <laughs> Can't Have find me. That. It's going to be an archive. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Something I did want to mention, because I think, look, I love conspiracy theories. Oh. And I'm not into, I haven't gotten very into this one because it's very complicated, but there's one about how the families that control the entire world and all of the money. Okay. Wait, very I'm very intrigued by this. <laughs> I don't know everything about it, but I know the Morgan family is one of them. Oh. And the way this ties back in and why I'm thinking about it is because uh, Burley became a soloist for St. George's Episcopal Church in New York City. Hmm. And some parishioners didn't want to hire him because it was an all-white church. Classic. Classic. Um, and a lot of other white New York churches were forbidding black people to worship, which is... Crappy, but J.P. Morgan, Mister Family Controls the World man, yeah, cast the deciding vote to hire Burley. Wow! Look, I mean that's a pretty good move. Um, huh. yeah, but he was very successful. Like, I'm intrigued. He served at the church for fifty-two years. So. Wow! He was a vocalist, and he performed in his like his family had like a vocal quartet and they performed oh, together that's cute yeah he's a cool guy um here i just pulled up like some other here let me just start screen sharing but i pulled up some of his other art songs oh love which one are you gonna do um oh Let's oh, oh yeah, oh love of a day. Sound oh, good to me.
vocal music is so nice. It's also a vocal music is like one of those things. Also, it's just like it's so relaxing. Yeah, they're all like Wait, this. Sorry to interrupt, but this just made me think. I wonder if Harry Burley is like like more like the name would be more well known in the vocal realm of music, like for vocalists. I'd assume so. I want to ask my parents if they've heard of him. Yeah, that's any singer. I'll text my parents right now. We'll get a live answer. <laughs> okay. Let's listen to another one. Can we? Yeah. Ooh, let's listen to um, part of the Gray Wolf. gosh that breath that note lasted forever i can barely like hold my breath for 30 seconds <laughs> i like or that 10 one seconds i like that one though yeah that was lovely smoky and gray yeah well well i would also like to share <gasps> something thanks to isa machado do violino she's on instagram and it was through her posts on Instagram that I found about Harry Burley. So, muito obrigada, Isa. And we're going to play a little bit of the piece that she shared with us. Ooh, okay. That was Southland Sketches, and it was by played by Elena Loga on the violin and Mackenzie Paget on the piano. Wow! Thank you very much, Isa, for the suggestion. Also, I have an update from what? my singer parents. They know who he is. Oh, cool! And my mom goes, "Welcome to our world." <laughs> <laughs> Because I said that we we had like never heard of him, and she goes, "Yeah, he's they know who he is." Oh, all right. So that's very interesting of like how the different sectors of like 
classical music we'll hear about someone mm-hmm. and the string players are like who <laughs> but also they would probably be like who about like i don't know carl flesh or something yeah <laughs> so cool awesome well okay. is it time for the second act for the second act yes so act. <laughs> i feel like the topic of perfectionism recently it with the three of us has been something that we have i don't know been dealing with been thinking about um because we have recitals coming up Mm -hmm. and very soon for me and aaron literally like i mean (laughs) it's a couple days away yeah so yeah i thought it would be good to just hear what I would like to hear, and we can also talk about other things too, but how do you both deal with the perfectionism and like the mental health aspect? Because for me, I get in my head a lot. And I think it's been a recent thing actually, where I get so caught up in, okay, this isn't good because that note was out of tune or like that F sharp was too low or too well in my case it'd be too sharp or something like that or that string crossing wasn't good and I start to not focus on the music Mm -hmm. and I get like obsessed right and then I will listen to like a recording where I was thinking all of those things and I listened to it I'm like oh it's not it's not that bad like it was pretty good and I kind of just kind of go into this like spiral back and forth of like okay why am I playing this? Like, am I playing this to play every note perfectly in tune? Because for me, that's literally like not possible. Like I can't do that. Like in any performance, like I'm going to have some type of slip up, you know? Yeah. So anything on those lines, how do you guys deal with it? Because I'd love some advice. I actually have a really tough time dealing with it too. I mean, with actual mistakes and things, I've been working a lot with Catherine on like how to fix like these because for me when it gets to me is like in rehearsals a lot because like Mm -hmm. I don't want to look stupid or like I'm bad or like I don't practice because I do all of those things or even in lessons and stuff I'll get in my head when like we're working on something simple and I just like get so upset and I shut down yeah yeah I get so angry because I'm like I work on this but what's wrong but Catherine's like you just have to find the trick to make it the way, like, you know, which to, for me, the, this actually works quite well. Like, right. sometimes if you're missing a shift, it might not even, like, maybe you just have to change the fingering or the bowing. Like, or, maybe. like, lean to the left a little bit. Yeah, or, or like, yeah. lower your elbow in a centimeter. So I think having that flexibility helps. But I've also, like, I can't pretend I've been dealing with the same issue. Like, I feel like... When I started violin, I was such a perfectionist and like I didn't think about them. Of course, I thought about the music, but none of my musical ideas came across like at all, Mm. if I had any. Right. And then I started to be musical and everything was fine for like three years in undergrad. And somehow like now it's like boot camp, like everything's perfect. And it's really frustrating because... It is tough when music starts to feel like work and because you don't want your work to feel like work, 
Yeah, I agree. And even even though the goal is for it to be the job, like it's starting to feel like work now. It's Sorry. feeling like I'm I'm being forced to practice for something that I necessarily kind of don't want to practice. Like I play music to focus on to or to 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 focus on music in a in a way that it would affect someone who listens to mm-hmm. it. Not to have the perfect tempered intonation or because to me it just sounds mechanical like it doesn't sound real it doesn't sound like a human is playing it i think the idea sorry no yeah i was just saying yeah oh i think the idea comes from like you know you don't want any mistakes to get in the way from people hearing what you're trying to convey but also like and if you do, kind of tying back to Burley, like, if you listen to old recordings from around that time, like, they're not perfect. They're not. Like, they make mistakes. They mess up all the time. Especially, like, in the Shostakovich string quartets, there's a, there are recordings of the Beethoven quartet. Yeah. Who worked with Shosti, and they sound, like, to my ear, like, kind of bad for, like, what string quartet playing has become since then, even. Yeah. But, like, I think it it's... Like, the idea of polishing something to the point where it is not the original intention. Like, with Shostakovich, I feel like now there's these really polished, clean versions of, like, the second movement of String Quartet Number 8, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, is it supposed to be, like, that polished? Like, it's supposed to be, like, this crazy frenzy. Right. Yeah. So, I th- th- these are all different thoughts I have on perfection and perfectionism this is is very interesting i never realized that i actually think so different from you guys about this topic um well first i was i've always been very perfectionist since always in all the areas in my life (laughs) i feel like i have too but recently i have been trying to get away from it i think that's my my new change recently and um so in music i i've always always tried to be perfectionist and but it was very interesting that you guys separated being perfectionist and you only talked as being perfectionist with the technique but i always saw being perfectionist with the music too with the phrasing and with the musicality it was very interesting that you guys were like your mind is where like being perfectionist is being non-musical and hmm. i think it has not to possible do... to being perfectionist I it was think... very interesting yeah i now that you bring that up it has me thinking i because honestly i, I think always, it's... Uh, i always had uh in my head that once i decided what was the phrasing or what was the um musicality that i wanted to do if I didn't get there, so it was not perfect. So there was also this pattern, you know? Okay, yeah. So I am thinking now that this has to do with our weaknesses of what can get us to the perfection. To me, Mm -hmm. the musicality, phrasing, emotion, character, that's very, I don't want to say easy, but it comes to me a lot quicker or I'm more natural, I feel more natural at it than like, playing every note in tune 
Hmm. But to the like the 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 intonation that we're talking like it's completely well tempered and centered and I just don't play like that <laughs> and I feel like that has been something that is uh been a struggle for the past two years um, because I keep trying to do it and I keep doing a lot of slow practice practicing with drums and then I get to a performance and it goes out I mean it goes out the window like. Hmm. And so then I kind of just, I, I don't know. I have accepted now that I really don't care anymore. <laughs> but in a way, yeah. like, Zero. yeah, I am, I want to play music to enjoy it and to love it and to make people either sad or happy or something. Yeah. Cause like when I think about what I take away from a performance is not if they like played a wrong note in measure 32, it's like, oh my God, they made me feel something yeah so yeah. yeah but answering your question i think for me i i've never tried not to um like to run away from it i've always seen it as a good thing because it kept me trying harder to improve mm -hmm. so but it also it, there's always that um negative side for in my experience that I get so obsessed. That's with, yeah. Yeah, I get so obsessed with trying to play everything the way I was practicing that I of, of course it leads to frustrating frustration during and after the performance. But the thing that's during the performance, it just takes me completely out of the focused yeah. and um attention place that I was before. So that is something that I have been trying to work on to keep focused, even though I I get a mistake. So one thing that now I can do, but it took me a long time to learn how to do it, is every time that I do a mistake, I smile. Yeah, I was just about to Aww. say, you said that to me the other day. And it just, it was something that I learned in my Alexander Technique classes that smile smiles, um, they have so many positive impacts on our nervous system that um, the same thing happens when you do the opposite. When you close, like when you close mm. your face and you get angry, mm. it has a lot of negative impacts on your muscles. So the smiling actually liberates all those muscles and actually relaxes you. So. Uh, this was one of the techniques that my professor uh, teaches me and it changes so much. So I don't, I think now I I am a lot better than before in the sense of like, oh, I got a mistake. I got this wrong, wrong note. And then I just tensed, I got all tensed up and it gets yeah. worse and worse and worse. And it leads to other and other and other mistakes. But yeah. And it's very interesting. I was researching the, about perfectionism in musicians, in music. Mm. And there are so many articles and researches about that. in young musicians, uh, relation with coffin style, effort, achievements, performance anxiety, performance. Um, there are so many things. It is a very, it's a topic, very, very hot topic. <laughs> I, but at the same time 
it's not because when when we get to talk about that with our like i like find out that like everyone feels the same way Mm. like we never we take so long to discover that everybody feels the same way right it's like so annoying sometimes or i'm like why can't we talk about this or like why didn't we like why isn't this talked about more i know honestly i've universities with schools of music departments of music colleges of music should have some type of course in place to help with the environment to navigate the culture of of this music school i don't know what what i don't know if it should be a class a course something but there should be something in place to help students with this because i've known so many people who have have under the pressure they've they've given up and they've quit Mm -hmm. and like that shouldn't be a thing i don't know in my opinion i don't think it should be a thing i don't know i think we're also entering another like change in the gen like a generational cultural shift from like yeah that's true from the hustle culture of like our parents to more like can we just live like the Europeans, please? Like, I think that's where, like, a lot of younger Americans are heading. I don't know if it's the same in Brazil or not. Mm-hmm. But, like, we all kind of are looking for a more chill. Like, I we're all think... just kind of like, can we not push ourselves to death trying to work, please? More like chill, but also more support. Yeah. but So I think it's interesting in music school because you have multiple generations trying to work that is true. similar things, but yeah. in very different ways. So that's that where is... there's like a disconnect. Sorry. Everyone just needs to be on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> it's not possible, but that is, that is the ideal. Uh, it was very interesting because our friend Shannon, she shared something uh, about how europeans see sees american working idea and i it was something that when i first came i also had the same impression the idea of work here in the us is totally different from brazil and yes oh here God, you say more yeah um <laughs> well the first impression that i had was like wow you guys work a lot like you guys work too much and some people that i know it feels like their life is around work so it feels like you work to get money to get a better work to get more education to get better work and then yeah. you wake up to work and you go to sleep because you have to work and in brazil i never realized that that's not how we live i would say or at least not how we are taught it must be so nice um of course we of course we have this idea of everybody should work it's healthy to have a job and it's like mentally healthy to have a job and to work and of course everybody uh should be able in an ideal world to um sustain their self like support themselves financially through their own jobs but i think we work to well at least my idea okay i'm gonna say my idea from like my experience from what i lived 
the idea that I have of, of work was I'm going to work so I have money to like support myself financially and mm -hmm. to have a life. Mm -hmm. So work was only, it was not the goal. It was just a way to live better or to accomplish like That's so interesting. a better um, life, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's I interesting don't, because how much of that it actually makes sense for you guys. No, it oh. makes it makes sense because it's so different. Yeah. Like, oh, don't get me wrong. The, in Brazil, it's exactly the same thing. We also get the same questions. Why? Okay, but what is your real job? Okay, but how you are how are you getting money? Oh, mm. yeah, it's the same idea. And yes, yeah, a no, lot of people I just, just do jobs, just do whatever to whatever area to get more money but maybe i think there's a small part or i actually don't know the size of the part of the population but i think here was the first time that i had contact with people that their whole life is just work you know what i mean yeah, yeah. but, but also like i do have that mentality though too i feel like we only go to school to get a job mm. Kind of, mm, but yeah, yeah, pretty much, I would say, yeah. I guess that's the angle, but also I think all three of us have just been in school since we were like five. So <gasps> it's kind too of too long, you guys. It's been too long. <laughs> it's also just like I don't know if I went to undergrad necessarily, like with the. I think I just went because it's what like you do, and then I guess yeah. like masters was more with like a job in mind, but still it was like. Well, I'm not done with school yet. I think I knew from, like, middle school that I wanted to get my master's. Oh. Yeah. That's good. I didn't. It was, like, <laughs> it was like a conversation I had with my parents where they were like, is this what you want to do? And I was like, yeah. Jeez, you were well. No, yeah. I This is, I'm telling you guys, this is the first time in my life where I've had, like, kind of a plan, but not a plan. You know, like, mm -hmm. I've had, like, my plan is that I kind of have a plan, but it's not yeah. really a plan. And it feels great, <laughs> but um, it's very interesting. Also, something that you guys mentioned uh, when we were talking about perfectionism that I thought was very interesting because I don't think like that. So you play, and when you play, you sh you feel that it should not feel like a job or like a work, because that's not how I feel, or at least how I felt. Ah. I always felt that, okay, time to play, time to work. And then I'm going to have some fun with something else. Well, but yeah. I the think violin, it's both. Yeah, I never really thought of the violin as like, oh, I'm doing that because I love. Or, yes, of course, I, I like playing the violin, but it's not the love of my life. And... Of course, I wouldn't know. I don't know anything else to do in my life. Like if I did have that's the what I was just about to say. If I was but, like, if I didn't have violin, I have no idea what I'd do. Yeah, yeah me neither. But I always, I never ha had the idea of okay, this is, I'm learning this piece because I wanna because I like this piece. No, it's just because this is what I had to do. Yeah, I, it's it's like both for me as well. It's like. Like, I like, like, I love, like it, whatever, but also at the same time, like, there is definitely, like, a have to get to work, like, kind of yeah. mentality. I guess so. 
Oh, I kind of hate right now. I need a break. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's almost um, impossible not to feel this way because it is our work. It is our job. It is That's what true. we work with. It's mm -hmm. not possible to not feel it is a job because it is. I think where I was going with it was because it was I was doing stuff that I didn't want to do mm -hmm. for that work. Like, oh, like, for example, like, like the things that I don't know, I can't think of any specific examples, but, but yeah, it's this kind of environment that I don't necessarily love anymore. I think that's, that's the, I think I got more about this feeling when I got in an orchestra and then I realized, oh yes, I just have to do this because that's how I get money. Yeah. But even though. Of course, like uh, the moments of the performance, I really enjoy. But there's a lot of like daily stuff that I didn't really want to deal with, but I had to anyways. So I guess I, for a long time, now that I think about, I always thought as yes, I want, I have to do this not because I want, but because I have to, hmm. or not because I like, but yes, I have to. Very different perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Very different. I don't know. I guess for me, it was a hobby. At the, like, I did it at the beginning. I was like a total, it was just extra. Like, I did it as an extracurricular. And then it slowly, like, just became more and more important to me. So I guess that's where, like, and I just always was, like, everything was in tune like my technique was really good up until like I think now where it's like time has caught up and I am no longer ahead of the game in technique so it's like yeah. frustrating that I'm not like perfect but I don't have the time to become perfect because I also like have other stuff I like to do so it's yeah. a little that, I guess that's where the frustration comes in and I wish like it's one of but you can't just like it's like if I were at Starbucks and I was like, hey, like, I'd really rather not, like, make Frappuccinos. You know, like, I can't just ask to not do it. I have to do it anyway. So maybe I'm just coming terms with, terms with the reality of it. I don't know. But you, you brought something that I really like. Because if we think about some people that we know, that everybody knows, that are really perfect and they have everything on top. Did they really had the life we are having with friends and with family and with other stuff outside yeah. the music world? I don't think so. At least I can think about a few names that I know that their whole lives was mm -hmm. like violin. Me mm -hmm. too, actually. Or the piano. And I think it's a choice about like priorities. Like what do you prioritize and it's totally okay to choose other stuff than being perfect in one thing mm -hmm. and i think that's that's the beauty of this actually what we choose to do and yes it's not gonna be on top perfect everything but we have other other lives outside that too mm. um yes i don't i don't know how much sense that made made a lot of sense it was yeah, really touching <laughs> i really agree with aaron though about the the perfection thing though i feel like it's something that 
has recently happened and I almost think it's like a mental thing too and also Mm -hmm. a different level thing as well I think from undergrad to masters or from any level to now it's just yeah even high school to undergrad of course the level increases dramatically but you still get to like baby for a little while in undergrad. Yeah, you can in like masters, say an excuse like oh i'm like you know 18 like in masters know. there's no being baby it's like no you're 24 just do it <laughs> i'm like uh, no i gotta play pokemon <laughs> i think that's what is hitting me so hard this semester i'm like i i i made a deal with myself actually to mm. not make any more excuses like, why why you didn't bring this like you should have brought this to the rehearsal or to whatever why why you didn't read this oh because i was watching nct yes yeah so (laughs) i was like no i'm not gonna make more excuses i I just have to do because that's that's how i get money and i have to pay my bills (laughs) i have to survive here yeah this has been a very interesting talk yeah like we're very similar but also very different but that i mean i think that's really great though i mean if everyone was the same it'd be boring (laughs) well habeka your taste (laughs) (laughs) what's the portuguese word of the day perfectionismo (laughs) perfectionismo the way you said it it's basically the same perfectionism yeah (laughs) Yeah. i love that perfectionism we have to aaron we have to like figure out all of the different words that we've had and we have to make a sentence with it okay i don't know i mean you're gonna habeka start teaching us some like me that this the let's learn the first one then ew Ew, that's me. Or um, I. Yeah, I. Ew. I knew that. Mm. <laughs> Love that. Well, our second favorite question. How was your tuning this week? Shoot. Well, I can go. Um, fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of sucks. Well, okay, yesterday I had my dress rehearsal and I had to cut two movements of my Hindemith, which overall is good. Like, I prefer that to playing them because it's really just for the fourth movement because it's 600 beats per minute and that one. Um, And it just takes, like, a long time to prepare, much longer than I actually did spend preparing it. So we're cutting it, but it's, like kind of annoying because I spent all last week practicing it um I wish I had spent my time differently but anyway so but that was the only other thing otherwise things are fine oh I got my vaccine that's what happened yay yeah I got my vaccine officially all that all Aaron got okay I was gonna say that we all can like compare like symptoms because we all got a different vaccine Mm -hmm. Oh yeah I got J&J and it sucked. Yeah. I, I've heard from other people. I've seen TikToks now too about people who got Johnson and Johnson and like <laughs> there was a funny one like POV you just got your first or you you just got your J&J vaccine and it's like goes into that like 
warpy, like you can't tell what's going on kind yeah. of picture. So I think that's typical, like to get really bad symptoms from it. So yeah, I've really- heard that. I've seen TikToks about that for the second dose of Moderna. So yeah, can't wait. Yeah, but it kind of hurt, but it's okay because like I don't even remember it. It's like it's fine. It's over now, and I'm vaccinated. So I'll give it the week like in. 8 out of 10. Minus 2 because I'm, like, kind of nervous for my recital, but also, like, like I don't care. Like, whatever. It's yeah. <laughs> Mind tuning is also kind of just fine. Um, I had my dress rehearsal yesterday, which you both were very nice and came to for... I mean, Habeka was there the entire time because she is in my recital. Um, (laughs) But we needed an extra ear to listen to our Moskovsky and who came but Erin. Very nice of her. I called her literally like 30 minutes before and was like, what are you doing Uh right now? She was like, nothing. (laughs) I was like, well, come over to the dancing. Anyway, um, yeah, that was fun because then the Out of Tune podcast was all together in person, which like Mm -hmm. barely happens anymore um yeah uh my dress rehearsal was fine i don't know i think it was fine (laughs) it sounded good to me thank you yeah i think it's gonna be fine everything's fine (laughs) um i'm just i'm very nervous i am playing in my pianist's recital tomorrow so that can be like a practice for my Mm -hmm. recital um yeah and we're meeting again at tonight to to go through some class yeah, at tonight, at 8 p.m. tonight. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give my week. Also, I'm just feeling, uh, although I will say, I am I think I say this every week, but I am so exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to, because of that, I'm giving it a 6 because I'm just so tired. Um, I was going to give it an 8 like Aaron, but it doesn't deserve an 8. There's going to be it. a better week that gets an 8 than this one. So. <laughs> <laughs> 6, final answer nice well my week was great i think i've never been so busy this semester yeah but i don't know i am kind of loving it i think i got really tired of being so negative about all the things that all the bad things that happens in life yeah but that's kind of inevitable so i decided to just Acknowledge that, yeah, life can be really shitty sometimes. And yes, that happens. So I think I am starting to change my mindset to just enjoy what I have while I have. And you never know what can happen tomorrow. So I'm very... I, my week was really great. I'm not being being sarcastic this time. That's good. Yeah, I was like, wait, are are you being for real? But yeah. I'm glad then. Yes, I. The weather is great. Mm-hmm. That might be a big thing in my mood too. Yeah. But yes, um, I am really happy with everything that has been happening, and I'm really glad. I am healthy and I have food and I have a house and my family is alive and I am really grateful for all of those things so I'm also gonna give it eight. Aww. 
Wow. I'm just Miss Negative Nancy over here. My goodness. (laughs) Just kidding. You guys, Aaron, I was just thinking this time next week. You guys are going to be great. We're going to be done. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be done. I'm going to be, it's it's guaranteed a 10 out of 10 saying it right now. I'm going to be really happy next week. I know. I mean, I'm happy this week anyway, but. It's guaranteed. It's going to be my first 10 of the pod. So I can't wait to say it officially on air. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I guess that brings us to the end of number 27. As always, you can find us uh, on Instagram at Out of Tune Pod and on Facebook at Out of Tune Podcast. Our episodes go up every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. And you can find them on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. We are probably there. Um, but yeah, anyways, this has been Out of Tune on Zoom. We're still on Zoom. 